Hey, Doug, is somebody else is coming in? I I think so. So is um, his name is Eric. He was listening to our 2017 stuff. Oh yeah. And so I thought, why not? I don't know. He's, um, he's a prof, right? Yeah, I think so. Okay. But I don't know if he might be like a history prof. I, uh, if it's that guy that I looked up, I, I looked him up before. Um, uh, I think he's a, yeah. He has a, I mean, he has I, a wiki, he has a wiki page. No, I don't think it's that guy. Oh, it's not that guy. Okay. I looked up, I Googled his name. I don't think it's that guy. That would be really <laughs> like, right. You Google. Eric Reeves academic. Uh, he studies literature at uh, Smith college in Smith North college in Northampton. Oh, so you yeah. don't, you don't, you don't know who this guy is. Well, I know that he's some of the, that Alan's been corresponding with for a while, <laughs> but that's not him. <laughs> okay. That would be interesting. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sure, he wrote the books "Critical Moments" in the Darfur Genocide. Darfur. Yeah, he's a, he's an expert on the on the Darfur Genocide. Yeah. yeah. No, I think. Let me see if I can send but you he, the link. But he studies English literature. It could be him. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know all kinds of famous people, so I wouldn't be surprised. I, I, <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, it won't <laughs> let me uh, do that. All right, here. Let me just get the tea. I think the water's ready, so I'll be right back. Hold on. You, Which is None of this Paris shit. It's not a lemon, right? We need real Irish cream in that tea. <laughs> so just saying there was like a bunch of tea stuff and the, the, the parts of this that I... Uh, that I got to check out. But yeah, hold on, I'll be right back. <laughs> you could milk it from a human booby also. <laughs> All right, here he's in the waiting room. I'll admit him. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hello, Eric. Can you hear us? I can. Can you hear me? Yeah. Nice to uh, make your acquaintance. Yeah, nice to make your acquaintance. I how did really... you how did you bump into Alan? How did that transpire um it's funny i think it was that my brother was looking for the christ lloyd video as you're probably familiar with i don't sure. know what the actual mm -hmm. title is uh it's it's one that he really loves and in trying to he finally found a version of it somewhere i i, I don't know i think at some point he reached out to alan and asked if it was available because it had been taken down and uh, it, it, so I think he just got in touch with them that way. Um, I don't know who made the video initially, if it was Alan or someone else, but my, was... bro my brother found it, provided it, and, you know, we ended up in a group chat together. I think that's a, uh, oh, the name is escaping me right now. Yeah, Basketball player. Yeah, exactly. Uh, tall guy. <laughs> <laughs> I've hung out with him. He's real nice. Joe. 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 Yeah. I can't is think he, of Joe's last name. Is he the one that did the Back to the Future video? 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He's done a, a lot of videos. Gotcha. But yeah, but, again, I really appreciate the, uh, the invite. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, me too. Zanor uh, oh. is making tea. So oh, no. I think, not uh, sorry, S- sorry, SJ. SJ is... is I've, I've made my tea. He's... <laughs> I'm uh, back, so it's done. I'm done, so I'm all good and ready. He's in the Telemachus episode. Hold on one sec. I think my dog is breaking dishes. Um, so Eric, you you listened to the 2017 episode on uh, Ulysses? Yeah, I listened. I, I listened to both the part one and part two, which I think were on different podcasts. But I listened to both of them. Uh, oh, really? I really enjoyed them. Um, it seems like you, in particular, have delved into Joyce quite a bit. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah, is that just a on a, out of personal interest or have you studied him academically? Uh, no, I haven't really studied him academically. Um, like I, uh, no, just on my own. Well, I, I, I've, I've written academically on Joyce, but I haven't, I didn't, okay. that wasn't my, uh, my focus or anything when I was going to school. Okay. Um, and are you an academic currently? Yeah, well, I teach. I teach at university here in Japan. So uh, very cool. That's what I'm doing. Uh, is that is that your background too? Or? So I I'm back in school now. Um, actually, finishing my undergrad. I I completed it. Uh, long story, but I did three years at, at the university. Then I went off to sort of an unorthodox one that wasn't accredited and finished there. So I'm, I, I've decided I want to do grad school, but in order to do that, I've, I've got to do a year again of undergrad through an accredited institution. So that's what I'm doing now in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I would like to teach. So that's what I'm aiming for. Um but it's going to be a little while before I get there. Yeah, I had to do that too. I um, I sort of switched from uh, I was studying philosophy, and uh, so then I went on. Eventually, like I was traveling for a long time too, but I went on to do my master's. But I had to take an extra undergrad year just as an introduction to the new program. Like I switched over to religious mm. studies. Mm. I see. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly what uh, where my interests lie: philosophy and religion. Um, cool. Yeah. And uh, where are you? What what school are you at in um, Japan? Uh, um, it's it's a smaller one. You probably don't know. It's called. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to say it on recording. <laughs> okay. No problem. No problem. <laughs> Um, I, I, our fans are pretty rabid here and <laughs> oftentimes the, uh, the beginning matter becomes and always record depending mm-hmm. on how interesting the, the front chatter is prior to the, the actual diving in. Gotcha. I teach in Tokyo. I don't say that. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm, I was curious because, um, some of my, well, a lot of my personal interest in research has been related to uh the atomic bombs 
and and how that symbolism has pervaded popular culture mm. um and a couple of the scholars that i've read uh are academics in japan so oh, wow. um I, I think they're actually both in hiroshima um i i when you said tokyo i knew that you were in tokyo and i, I associated that with them but now that i think about it they're in hiroshima yeah i've actually never been to hiroshima i'd like i, I still want to go but it's uh yeah, it's, it's expensive to travel in japan mm-hmm. I, i'm sort of on the other side of the, the country okay um, i always have to think in terms of united states states so what state is japan like uh what in terms of size it's yeah it's like Cal- like- california basically yeah yeah. which is a big state it's a big state yeah but it seems it strange though like when you're in california it it's a big state but you can go from one side to another um easily it seems like but but here in japan it, it just seems big when you're inside of it it seems huge like mm. um, anyways yeah I'm, I'm interested in that moment too actually um we talked about that uh just recently I talked that. Oh no, that was on another recording with uh, with Bill. We talked about the uh, the uh, the bombing in Hiroshima and how that's related to all this other stuff that we're like, including Finnegan's Wake and uh, all kinds of all kinds of things. Very interesting. It's um, uh, it's kind of Japan's Death of God event, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, like right after that, the emperor came out nationwide radio address and said that he's not a god. You know, and that, and that, wow. it's it's like, it's like, in Europe, it took uh, what like a couple of centuries really for that to kick in, but in Japan, that sort of hit right away. There is the thing that we thought was God, the sort of foundation, central foundation of the society, is gone in in just like a one event, basically. You know. Wow. Yeah, it's um. Uh, yeah, I do. I do remember that being, but it, one of the conditions of surrender was that you would at least be able to remain in place. Correct. Yeah. So, um, it, so then it just, yeah. So the emperor is still here, but it's just a, like a figurehead, basically. Mm. Very interesting. Um, although, it, still, it holds a lot of symbolic power. Um, so you have these sort of. Um, not too many these days, but you have these kind of uh, left-wing radicals who want to get rid of the emperor, uh, like not kill him or anything, but just get rid of that office um, just because it, it holds still so much symbolic power, you know? Mm. All right. Well, are you guys ready to dive into the Front portion of the uh, conversation. Let's rock and roll. Sure. Okay. So, uh, Eric, what usually, um, if you've listened to any of the shows, I'll read the short introduction and then we launch in. And I hopefully take a time reading so that when we hit 42 minutes, I'll stop us. But it seems like lately I've been just kind of letting it go. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Sounds good. Yeah, and then we, we, we keep talking inevitably. Did you guys listen at all to the... I mean, you guys talked for a long time last time. 
Oh, um, yeah, I listened to part of that. Yeah. I, missed it. I, I just, I just enjoy the conversation and just, I didn't, I didn't have much time to get back uh, to it, but I recall fondly the conversation. So yeah, it went on, went on. <laughs> <laughs> I was there, dude. <laughs> oh, it was hilarious too. When, oh boy, it made me just cracked me up when, uh, I didn't mute. My kids are watching Die Hard in the other room and it's just so loud and you're trying to get my attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thanks, Doug, for doing that, for, for being uh, flexible with us. Yeah. I always feel like when uh, after you left, like we got into all this cool stuff that was relevant to some of the earlier conversations. So I was kind of like, I hope Doug hears this because it was it contextualized. I think I forgot the exact topic, maybe some of the. Um, more political stuff sometimes it gets raised Zora, Zora and I will like break that down for hours and hours you know and, it, and it's so anyhow I'm glad you got to hear it, some of it at least yeah, it was good. all right yeah okay so uh where do you think where do you think I'm gonna land here where where am I gonna where's the intro gonna start but um all right let's do this Okay. <laughs> um, I, it, so here's something that's interesting, SJ. So I think I started reading this in my 20s and I only made it probably maybe to the Proteus section. And so I don't, I don't know that I had, I don't know. So it, it, it's interesting because it does seem like it's academic, but I don't know that it necessarily is. I think there are like secrets, but then once you start spending time there, I mean, it, it, don't get me wrong. I definitely think that like from an academic standpoint, it is, it's something to study, but I also think that it's like a book for the people. Yeah. Joyce said something like that. He said like, um, there's enough in there for um, the professors to study for a hundred years. <laughs> no, yeah, I think you said I put enough puzzles in there for the the professors to be able to study for a hundred years or so, and then now it's a hundred years. So I guess, and people still study it. You know, it's like uh, probably people study it more than ever. Um, so he's he's kind of making fun of them as well. You know, like he's anticipating all this um, uh, the the whole Joyce industry. Like he almost is the one who created it from the beginning. Um, but it's like it's it's for the uh, it's for the common man as well and woman, you know. It's like uh, like um, SJ you were saying how smutty it was. But if you read a section like the, it's there's no wonder it was banned, you know. Like uh, this is from the uh, the end, the Penelope section, Molly Bloom's monologue, and he, <laughs> uh, he she says, "I'll put on my best uh, shift and drawers and let him have a good eyeful out of it." And that to make his Mickey stand for him, I'll let him know if that's what he wanted, that his wife is fucked. Yes, damn well fucked too, up to my neck, nearly not by him, five or six times, hand running. There's the mark of his spunk on the clean sheet. I wouldn't bother to even iron it out. That ought to satisfy him. If you don't believe me, feel my belly unless I made him stand there and put him into me i have a mind to tell every scrap and make him do it in front of me serve him right it's all his own fault if i am an adulteress <laughs> yeah. like, that's pretty that's pretty blunt you can imagine like in 1922 when this came out it's like somebody <laughs> well we were so shocked that, by hunter you know? s thompson and all those like hanging uh, ejaculations 
But I think there's two hanging ejaculations in this book. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> when she's, a, she, she's sleeping with the priest, isn't she? I mean, that's that's what I got from the movie. Um, is that is that wrong? I mean, it's like the, she goes to confession, then he slaps her behind, and then the, it cuts to them in bed together. Is that is that not? Um, and then she and then she goes off on the spunk and uh, like his, uh, you know, the size of his member. And she, it, I mean, if in that sense, it feels so honest because we all have smutty thoughts going on all the time. You know, I mean, that's part yeah. of my monologue. Like part of the day is just like my dirty mind and struggling with that. And so I can see how that's kind of for the people. I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like porn or something. You know, it's 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 that's omnipresent totally. uh, in the current context. You know. <laughs> We we read uh, Joyce's smutty letters to uh, to Nora Barnacle, his his partner, and it's <laughs> it's some of the some of the smuttiest stuff out there, you know. Like he was, um, yeah, it's 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 really highbrow, but really kind of lowbrow at the same time, you know, like the the lowest of the low. Um, like he was really kind of even in Trieste, he would just just get roaring drunk and end up in the gutters and, and in the red light districts and. Um, like even his eye problems are probably caused by a venereal disease, you know. Um, I shouldn't say probably. Maybe that's, it's the, that's some the syphilis. Yeah, 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 and um, that might have caused the daughter to go mad too. Yeah, that's even. <laughs> I brought that up with this guy at the uh, Martello Tower in in Dublin. That like that exact point. Like we were having a great conversation talking about all these details and Ulysses, and I brought that up, and he was like. Mm, well <laughs> he kind of went away from me after that you know? like, <laughs> there's some things that shouldn't be talked about you know like i, I don't know how much it, who knows he, you know all of all of his letters to his daughter who yeah she became schizophrenic um were burnt by his his family afterwards um so we have no idea really what was the relation. Like they were obviously super, super close. Like it, in a way, his his daughter Lucia was kind of a another muse figure for him. Um, but uh, but in terms of that, like who who knows? Like it, it, I I hope not. <laughs> well, so SJ, I was I was thinking about you a lot when I was doing this because so Zenora had you read. I don't, he didn't have you read, but we talked about, you know, the, the 17th section or episode. Yes. And it's not very intimate. It is, is fun. And I, I think I read that it was Joyce's favorite section. Yeah. Because it's really clever. And like, you do follow what happens as they move through the rest of the evening, but it, because it's question and answer, it's like this, this scientific catechism you 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 lose being in their consciousness which is kind of like the structure uh circe is so intense and then the next section um is kind of it, it's a nice come down when they're at the cabman having the coffee and the bun but it's all the narrator is like, there's a lot of cliches and people think that that section's kind of trite. What was your feeling about that, Zanor? Um, yeah, trite on purpose. Like you, so yes, yeah. They, they, in that section, Eumaeus, um, they meet um, 
a real kind of Ulysses figure, like this old sailor who's who's been apparently sailing the world, or maybe just telling tall tales about it, you know. And so it's it's um, he's kind of a real Odysseus, um, <laughs> except that it might all be bullshit, you know. Like a, um, so I think I think that's that's why that whole episode is written like that, um, in a in a cliche way. Like if if somebody if somebody was to write a story, hey, hey, let's have this idea of taking a modern figure and making him into a modern day Ulysses, yeah? That's how they would write it. They would write it something like that, you know? And so Joyce is just blowing up that whole cliche, you know? It's like, no, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be like that. It wouldn't be a guy traveling at sea. It would be a, an ad hoc-er in, uh, in Dublin, this, this Jewish guy outsider in Dublin who's just wandering around and, and is basically a, a cuckold. Um. But my point was, um, SJ, is that part of the charm of the book is that like um, you're in their heads, whereas in the movie, it's harder to do that, especially um, like in an hour or two hours. And so it just kind of flattens the whole thing. Like the, I did watch that 2003 film Bloom and it does a nice job of kind of walking through the day. Um, like the wandering rock section lasted about, I don't know, 90 seconds, you know, it's like, <laughs> and then they cut out, you know, the sirens and the Umea section completely from, from the film, but you got a sense of what the day was, how it was structured, you know? So like, that would be handy if you're like a first time reader, but then you, you lose, you lose something by not being able to be so present and intimate with their thoughts. And so that was the interesting thing I was thinking about, like in reading section 17, you miss out on some of the, the stream of consciousness, but then I was trying to think like, what would be this, if you were only going to read one episode, you know, what would be the episode that typifies the idea of what Ulysses is? Mm, that's a good question. We're just going to ask you, what should yeah. I read? Uh, sorry, go go ahead. I'll just say, what should I read? Because I want to, I want to read, I want to find the typified one as well now to follow up uh, section seventeen. But. Well, so uh, I, I actually first listened to the RT dramatization like uh, before I read Ulysses, and I actually haven't read the entire thing now, but that will play into this comment, which is basically, even though, you know, and only listening to it, to be honest, is a very difficult thing. Um, the dramatization helps a lot, of course, but if you're not following the text, it's just impossible to take it all in. But despite the fact that usually I was working out when I was listening to this, for instance, strangely, the, the, episode that stood out most in my mind was the Circe episode. Um, and a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that they, their sound effects and there are different things going along with it that just made that episode more fun to listen to. Um, but because of that experience, I made sure I skipped ahead a little bit and um, missed some of the in-between, but I, I read the Circe episode again now and even though I didn't have all the details from all the surrounding episodes, it was apparent that that 
episode was sort of acting as a vortex, like a black hole for the rest of it, pulling in all of these characters and references that I recognized from the first part of the, the book. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, obviously extremely elaborate and um, uh, just exemplifies how talented of a writer and thinker Joyce is. But um, yeah, I can't say, I, I don't have as much experience with the text as Doug or Znor, but for me, that episode in particular, it's the longest one, but um, I would say if you were only gonna read one, from my experience, that would be it. Cool, and I just wanna clarify, Doug, um, I watched the 1967 adaptation and that actually does an, a really excellent job. I mean, most of the movie or a big chunk of it is just images on the screen. And then it's um, the thoughts of the characters. It's not even the actors. Yeah. And you should watch it because it's, it, I feel like I was surprised. I was like, what the, what is this? And then I was like, wow, this is a beautiful art masterpiece kind of. And I felt, I actually felt like it was a love story in some kind of way. I don't know if how much that comes through in the text when you read it all together, but it's almost like Molly and Bloom are, it's like the sadness of like their love and how they care. And it, there's a part of her monologue where she's talking about where they fall in love and he's kissing her originally. And then the heartbreak of them losing their son. And then like how they're kind of finding like the middle age where you're kind of dissatisfied. And it just felt very, um, for me, I had like, I was touching might be the word. I don't know if that's strange because of how heady it is, but I felt touched emotionally actually by, by these, by Molly and by Bloom. And it's kind of like the sadness of their tragedy in a way. Um, but um, anyhow, yeah. yeah. No, I'll I, look into I, that, Eric. Thank you, Eric, for that suggestion. Cersei, I, I'll, I'll try to, I'll, I'm going to get back into that. Actually, really quick, I want to just ask Eric and ask you guys, Cersei is what part? Is that when they're fighting in the, in the bar and Steven gets punched? Is that? It's like the, yeah. No, that's Cyclops, but uh, okay. yeah, it's 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 the it, drug trip. I mean, it's it's crazy. As if you, yeah, it's, they're in it's the easy. brothel. The brothel, it, okay. It, the brothel scene, okay, cool. Yeah, it, it's the easy one to it, the whole. It's it's written in dramatic style, so it, if you just pick up the book, you can find it. Um, okay, perfect, perfect. But that section, I agree. It's like uh, like this. Uh, just to read this little part from from Serce, you guys can tell me what this reminds you of. Um, so this is in the description. So there's there's what the characters say, and then they give description uh, description of what's actually happening, either in in his mind or in reality. We don't know, but it's like um, so many most attractive and enthusiastic women also commit suicide by stabbing, drowning, drinking prussic acid, aconite, arsenic opening their veins, refusing food, casting themselves under steamrollers from the top of Nelson's pillar into the great vat of Guinness's brewery, asphyxiating themselves by placing their heads in gas ovens, hanging themselves in stylish garters, leaping from windows of different stories. Um, so Doug and SJ, what, like, of recent books that we've looked at together, what does that remind you of? Well, it reminds me of the... Um the group of artists from uh, England in the early, early 19th century, uh, the early to mid 19th century, Byron and, and, um, um, and Shelley. It reminds me of that, that drug trip that they had and the, the film that I watched related to that. It also reminds me of Sheltering Sky in a way. I mean, 
where there it's, there's there's a kind of trippy sort of dis descent in that in that uh, book and in that film. Um, so that's that's what I that's where I, I mean my initial uh, I guess I didn't hit the, get the right answer but uh, that's that's <laughs> well, no, no. There's, no, <laughs> there's no right answer but Doug any uh, any thoughts on that? Well, I mean the way you were the clipped kind of way it um, it was written reminds me of Hunter S. Thompson a little bit not Hunter S. Thompson uh, what is his name? Burroughs. Naked lunch. Burroughs. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. Like, I, I, I think you're right too, SJ. Like, it, those, those, uh, especially um, Paul Bowles enters into Burroughs' writing as well. Um, but Burroughs, especially, like, you, you read stuff, the description in that section, in, in that, that whole episode, it just, it, it's Burroughs, you know, you can totally see what Well, Burroughs I might have said Hunter S. Thompson earlier when I meant Burroughs. So like we're reading in, in the Naked Lunch, there was all those those scenes where you know they're hanging themselves and having orgasms. Yeah. But there's there's instances of that in this book as yeah, well. Def definitely. Like that the especially Tsertse, it's it's almost like Burroughs. Um, like I think we're when we're talking about Naked Lunch. Um, I, I was saying like uh, it Burroughs is sort of describing like a, like, like a kind of Dante's Inferno kind of idea. And it's like, yeah, it's Circe is the Inferno, you know, it's, it's, and it's almost the, the exact sort of um, character of, of what uh, Burroughs is trying to do. The same sort of thing is like expressing what's maybe inside and what's outside and, and not knowing where the division of those two things are, you know? which you don't in this in this yeah. play yeah it's very hard to tell like people will say oh he's coming back to reality now but then something happens it couldn't it it doesn't it doesn't work out as as cleanly as that you know it's always like there's no clean split between his internal views and then external reality it's really impressive in that in that way that joyce is able to pull that off you you, you do feel yourself going in and out of the here and now and then back into this visionary state but you're it's almost like you're never fully out of either um it, it, you're just sort of riding this wave that's oscillating between the states and it's it's fun and it's it's really amazing yeah like like doug you haven't called it a like a drug trip it's also been called like a walpurgis knack kind of thing you know um which is in Infinite Jest, um, but uh, the drug itself, like you, I, I keep thinking that, like, what is the drug? If there's a drug, what is the drug? But um, they do take absence, like they're drinking. Stephen's drinking all day, but he, he ends up finishing off with absinthe, and it's it, Bloom apparently doesn't drink it, but it's almost like. Um, there's something like that, like it, in the same sort of um, sense as that gothic movie um, where they're doing laudanum, that they, they enter into this completely hallucinatory state in Circe. The other thing I was just thinking about with The Sheltering Sky was just that amazing beginning where he goes to the, to the brothel, basically, and there's the danger. There's something about the, the danger when you enter into the the, you know the world of the prostitute and and I think this is what happens right they go into the whorehouse and then Stephen in the film at least I watched he bangs out the lamp 
and they're yeah, like, that's uh, the whole climax. Yeah. That, that's the climax. Yeah. And, then, and then, then he gets punched after that, right. They chase him down and he gets punched. And then that's when the, the Mason rescues the rescues them. Right. Cause the cops come and mm-hmm. okay. Okay. But so just that, that side of it is like, there's something dangerous here about the taboo and entering into the, even talking about it. It's like, let's talk about hookers. You know, it's like people like, Oh, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. You know, like the first, um, like the, the tour guide snore, you're like, well, this was from a syphilis induced blindness. And he's like, okay, you need to step back, sir. You know, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> I think I gotta deal with these other customers over here. You know, like, <laughs> but even how so- it starts that episode, it's like the Mabbit street entrance of Nighttown before which stretches an uncobbled transiding set with skeleton tracks, red and green, will-o'-the-wisps and danger signals, rows of flimsy houses with gaping doors, rare lamps with faint rainbow fans, round uh, Rabaiotti's halted ice gondola, stunted men and women squabble. They grab wafers between which are wedged lumps of coal and copper snow, sucking, they scatter slowly, children, the swan's comb of the gondola, High reared forges on through the murk, white and blue under a lighthouse. Whistles call and answer. Like it, it, then it talks about all these weird kind of like a pygmy woman and a gnome and like a <laughs> playing in the in the in the rubbish. <laughs> you know, it's like uh, they, well, the, the Cafferty twins. You know? Yeah, and then Gertie's there, like right off the there. bat. Yeah, everybody's there. Um, and then it's surrealism. It well, is. Yeah. So in the oxen of the sun, you have like the sacred oxen of of fertility. And so why do you have all these men, you know, at the birthing center getting drunk, right? Yeah. Yeah. So the idea of that, I think from the, uh, from um, the Odyssey is uh, uh, it's the, um, Odysseus's crew go to this island. It's it's the island of Helios, um, the sun. And he was warned, I think, by Circe before that. So the order is a bit different, right? But um, he was ordered. He was warned by Circe not to eat the oxen of the sun, or else that would you would lose everybody. You 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 would uh, lose all of your crew, and you'd have to complete the uh, the journey yourself. And that's what happened. The, the Odysseus goes off somewhere and then the crew end up, they're really hungry. And so they, they see this, uh, this herd of oxen or, or a herd of cows and they slaughter them and eat them. And he comes back and, oh no, what have you done? And, and then that's what happened. They all, they all end up drowning in a, uh, in a shipwreck except for uh, Odysseus. But um, my point is, so then the next step, like so like there is this thing that's happening so like it's almost like like they've crossed a line there and then in the next section they actually become pigs yeah yeah you know they've become animals the the animal nature yeah so it turns them into uh yeah the beasts um pigs and and uh and bloom is in in the story of Homer's Odyssey, um, uh, Odysseus is saved by Hermes, and so there's the Hermetic connection again, and that that comes in even in the uh, portrait of the artist as a young man, because um, Stephen Dedalus's personal god is is Thoth, who is um, Hermes as well. But in 
in Odysseus, um, Hermes comes to, uh, sorry, uh, in the Odyssey, um, Hermes comes to Odysseus and provides him with this herb called moly, moly or moly, which is basically moly bloom. And, and that is what enables uh, Odysseus to not be susceptible to Circe's spell. And so he's able to escape and finally conquer her. Yeah, and, and there's a couple of really interesting things about that. One is that in the Circe episode, uh, Joyce makes direct reference to the hermetic, the Corpus Hermeticon, um, which is the foundational text of hermetism, um, one of which is called the Pymander. Right. And uh, so it refers to the occult Pymander of Hermes Trismegistus. Um, and it, uh, just another fun occult thing is that, um, you know, as Bloom does several times throughout the work, but even multiple times within this episode, he refers to the rate of gravity as being 32 feet per second. Um, so you have like this grounding element associated with the number 32. And then of course, famously, at least in the Scottish rite of Freemasonry, they're 32 degrees. And in Bloom's vision of, uh, what is it called? Blue Muslim. <laughs> and this, this grand palace with the crystal roof that's constructed, I believe he says that there are 32 builders as well. So these several references to these and in other parts of the text to building and stone and stonemasons and this number 32. And uh, as has been mentioned, that's how they're eventually bailed out with the police at the end as well. Was, was uh, Joyce a Freemason? Do we know if he was a member no. of the Freemasonic Order? Okay. No, like he, he was a, he, he was a Catholic for one thing, right. But he was, he was not into it and actually made fun of all the, uh, the theosophists um, in Dublin at that time, you know, even though he was heavily into it himself. But I think it was um, he, well, he, his criticism actually of Hermeticism or, or what this sort of um, Dublin group centered on Yeats and the poet A.E. in Dublin um, is, is that it gets too into the outer worldly. Um, side of things and it doesn't focus like we we're talking before on the uh, on the physical body and the, sort of the idea of this world you know um, so that all comes out in that episode in the library right which is Scylla and Charybdis right um, which the idea of that in, in the Odyssey is that uh, Odysseus has to go between this um, raging terrible monster and then this whirlpool and he has to sort of navigate in between um, these two things with his ship and, uh, and, and one of these, the whirlpool in, in this uh, episode is this kind of um, lofty Platonism or Hermeticism that has no grounding in this world and this body. Um, so he, like in this section, there's the poet Russell, who's, who's A.E. And uh, so he says in this discussion of Hamlet, he says, like, all these questions are purely academic. Russell oracled out of his shadow. I mean, whether Hamlet is Shakespeare or James First or Essex, clergyman's discussion of the historicity of Jesus, art has to reveal to us the ideas 
formless spiritual essences. The supreme question about a work of art is how deep a life does it spring? The painting of Gustave Moreau is the painting of ideas. The deepest poetry of Shelley, the words of Hamlet bring to our mind into contact with the eternal wisdom, Plato's world of ideas. All the rest is the speculation of schoolboys, for schoolboys. And then, uh, and then Stephen comes out and says, uh, the schoolmen were schoolboys first, which he's talking about Aristotle. So Stephen's uh, nickname by Buck Mulligan is Kinch the Knife. And Kinch the Knife is this kind of Aristotelian, Jesuit-schooled um, scholar who's really into Aristotle and Aquinas and really into like uh, having really um, distinct definitions to everything in life, distinct categorizations and having means uh, words being really well-defined. Whereas these guys, A.E. and Yeats were all into this sort of um, kind of what Stephen thinks is all kind of woolly headed kind of like um, boundary dissolving kind of uh, like imprecise language. Right. So, um, so he comes back, Stephen comes back. This is his thought. Um, unsheath your dagger definitions. Horseness is the whatness of all horse streams of tendency and aeons. They worship God noise in the street. Very peripatetic space what you damn well have to see through spaces smaller than the red globules of blood they creepy crawl after blake's buttocks into eternity of which this vegetable world is but a shadow hold to the now the here through which all future plunges to the past so that's kind of stephen's idea that's his counter to uh um kind of like outer worldly platonism of these guys it's beautiful man yeah that's, that's really beautiful yeah Go ahead, Eric. Sorry, I just I'm just struck by that that all of that ideas set snore is just really potent and powerful to me. What what book is the library scene? Because that's the one I think I want to visit. Um, yeah, that would be good. That's that a good that is a you. good one actually. So yeah. and it's written in a playfulness like Shakespeare. So it it does feel theatrical with the the band the back and forth. And I also wanted to say that um, Buck Mulligan is a really fabulously realized character oh he's excellent like there's a touch of john lennon in there like the humor <laughs> yeah yeah definitely i can see that um he is uh uh sj that episode i think is number nine if you're into that uh, that's a great one number nine okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah. okay perfect yeah that is a good one but uh yeah i just saw i i thought that's really excellent so so this idea of a sort of a middle path between Scylla and Charybdis and on the one side is this this platonic swirling whirlpool of ideas you know this and and then the on the other side I think the other side is Buck Mulligan's kind of basic nihilism post Nietzschean nihilism about everything just this total cynicism making fun of everything ridiculing it all um, and Stevens trying to move between them, and there's this, there's a scene right at the end of that episode where it's it's actually Stephen and uh, and and Mulligan walking from the uh, library, and it's Bloom that goes between them, you know. So it's it's like it's it's actually Bloom that's the middle path. Um, so I thought that's that's excellent. Yeah, and and. Um... 
Tyndall does point out definitely that uh, the references to theosophy and hermeticism in, in Ulysses are very ironic. Um, but it is also a testament to the influence it had on him, especially at that younger age, um, is what Tyndall argues. And um, I'm trying to find a quote here um, that I haven't been able to identify in the paper, but basically he says that, uh, that even if Joyce had moved on from it at that point in his life, um, there's uh, at least a recognition that it, as a literary influence, it remained uh, basically what it boils down to for him as a, the, the source, so to speak, of his view of analogy and the use of metaphor had been inherited from that kind of thinking, which again, at that point was just much more broadly part of the literary tradition um, of English literature. Yeah, he's definitely into it. Like, that's what I, um, like my blog is all about that. My book is all about that idea of, you know, that uh, he's making fun of it, you know, um, deeply making fun of it, but uh, but he's making fun of the, the shallowness of it, you know, like how it's expressed. Whereas um, he he goes further back than theosophy and goes right back into like uh, uh, especially uh, Giordano Bruno and uh, and like uh, Giambattista Vico and then and then the Marcia earlier Ficino. yeah the earlier uh, Neoplatonic philosophers even you know like so I he he never he never uh, he never rejects any of it i don't think that's my take especially when you read finnegan's wake it's like it's it's all built in a in a hermetic structure you know but uh i will uh, say that joyce's knowledge is so clearly encyclopedic as it's often described um it that it, it is just it's one element amongst so many others i mean he weaves in so many different traditions so many different myths and 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 figures um it's really incredible, but I do love the fact that the first episode uh, has several allusions, direct and and indirect, to Hermes, and this notion of metaphor. Uh, excuse me, messenger, um, describing Mulligan as mercurial Mulligan, and and things of that nature. The the wings on the hat, and um, but of course that's just part of the broader Greek. Western tradition also. Um, you know, it's interesting. One of the things I've done during the pandemic is tried to finally tackle the complete works of Plato, which I'm about 80% there probably. And I've realized that so much of hermetic thought is just Platonic thinking. Uh, and it was eventually, you know, several centuries later encapsulated in this vessel that we refer to as hermeticism, but it's Platonic ideas, it's Neoplatonic ideas. And um, of course, Joyce would have understood this as well. His, his knowledge was so vast on these things. Oh well, yeah, it all runs back um, to like Timaeus is an important text for my job. And that's kind of fundamental to the notion of the, you know, the planetary spheres and the descent of the soul through those spheres and how important the planets are to, kind of the cosmic clock and um yeah i feel like there's just to just to echo that the fundamental the fundamental and I'm, I'm wondering where plato got that he must have got that idea maybe it's a babylonian idea 
or an Egyptian idea. I'm, yeah, I'm sure definitely. he did invent that. Um, that would be really interesting to me to figure out like the uh, antecedents to the Platonic worldview. Um, yeah, actually, me too, Eric. I've been reading tons of Plato these days. Um, oh, cool. So, so uh, but it, it, this really ties in actually to this direct book. I was, at the end of the Republic, like at the very end of the Republic, when Plato's talking about the myth of Ur, and the myth of Ur is, is, a, is a myth about the afterlife. And it's, it's related, um, SJ, to the Timaeus, right? He's talking about the souls ascending or descending through these very various spheres of being, right? Represented by the planets. But um, in the myth of Ur, it talks about uh, how these souls have to choose uh their next incarnation they they draw lots and they're able to choose their next incarnations and so these people like the first guy i think he chooses like to be this uh um very powerful dictator right who controls everything and then other people choose like other famous people and then and then uh powerful animals like lions and it turns out that the last person to choose is odysseus and uh and he 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 gets the last choice, and but this is the crucial part. This is uh, um, so it says, and it fell, and it fell out that the soul of Odysseus drew the last lot of all, and came to make its choice. And from memory of its fir- former toils, having flung flung away ambition, went about for a long time in quest of the life of an ordinary citizen, who minded his own business. And with difficulty found it lying in some corner disregarded by the others. And upon seeing it said that he would have done the same had it drawn the first lot and chose it gladly. So even if he had the first choice, he would have chose um, the life of just a normal citizen who's minding his own business. Bloom, you know, like that's... <laughs> you, that's Joyce really is, interesting. Joyce is like completely taking that whole idea from the Republic, you know? So it's like, that's, that's the answer to Stephen's, um, um, Stephen's counter argument that no, it's Aristotle that we've got to be looking at. Um, so Stephen says that, but in the back of Joyce's mind, he realizes, no, it's both, you know, we've got to stick with Plato too, you know? Um, so, so this is, this is the continuation of the myth of Ur in the Republic, which it's so mind-blowing because that's obviously um, the best life to choose, according to Plato and Socrates in, in the Republic, is the life of just a normal person um, who lives with his family and does the best he can from day to day for himself and his family. And that's it, you know, like that, <laughs> that's all we have to strive for is right there. Yeah. But then really if we wanted to like get like... And I don't know if we were going to try and apply some of our modern, not modern, but our contemporary mores on him. We could definitely vilify Leopold Bloom if we wanted. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he could vilify everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so like I think the the Gertie scene, which we didn't talk about, would be one where. Yeah. Yeah, we don't really know how much of that is really real, but you know, well, he's soiled himself. We know he's, that's... and she's not even legal. Like she's a young girl. Do we know she's not legal? I think so. 
I I don't know. I thought we don't know. Around, for... I thought she. I thought they mentioned she's around twenty or something. Oh, I didn't. Okay, I, for some reason okay. I thought she was still in high school. No, no, because her her boyfriend is still in high school. The guy who rides the bike by her house. Really? <laughs> I, I, I thought no. I thought he was a student. Like he not. Well, I don't know. It, it, Do we know what high school means in, in right. early twentieth century Dublin? I, but, I, I'm not saying that facetiously. No, I, 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 mean, I know. No, you're you're right. But the, yeah. the but you bring up a point that I wanted to mention is how thoroughly modern this feels. So like, I don't feel this is antiquated in any way. Like this yeah. is the mode of life that we know. Like the technology is not as fancy as ours, but for the most part, it's, it's the same, you know, like they don't have the internet, but they have newspapers. Like they have the same amount of advertising. They have, like, they have tele telegrams going back and forth all over the place, you know? Telephone. Yeah. I, I totally agree. And actually I'm studying right now, media studies, uh, well, liberal arts, but with the concentration in media studies. And I absolutely love this aspect of Ulysses. And I, I totally agree, Doug, that it captures, especially I think with the sync book and the idea of sync. I mean, he was kind of tapping into that world and creating that world uh, to our earlier point in a way that is essentially what we're doing now, but it's beyond pre-internet um but part of what i love you know again from like a hermetic perspective is that hermes is the god of of several things including writing he's the scribe and messenger of the gods well thought thought more so a scribe but um and there's just this continual theme of letters and cards and different things that people are putting in their pockets and they're all moving these things around and one of the really fascinating things is that ireland was the um the easternmost the eastern point of the transatlantic telegraph cable mm. that went from newfoundland to ireland and then from there to you know the uk and the rest of europe so Ireland was that point of contact. And so these several references, for example, to the disaster in New York with the mm. General Sulcrum or uh, Sulcum, um, that was only possible because of that transatlantic cable coming into Ireland. They knew about that news the next day. Um, and uh, again, it's just, what to me are very obvious um, uh, references to the state of communication at that time, which again, as a media student is just beyond fascinating. I just want to throw in, I think um, when we're talking about Plato, you know, there's this idea and it relates to this, this thing of Joyce attacking the theosophists and, and the kind of re-emergence reemergence of some of the, those ideas. Like even in the current context, there's this kind of anti-theosophy strand and like even with like current occult culture and like esoteric culture, everybody's sort of hating on theosophy now. And um, there's a great book by Nick Campion where he's like talking about the new age. People say, oh, the new age is this, like it's some kind of thing that's different and sure there's a different outer casing, but it really is fundamentally back. You can trace it just back to Plato, 
you know, and like I, when you were thinking, when you were t- talking about choosing your life to come back, you know, that's like such a new age idea, right? Well, we, we come here and we choose and you've chosen this, you know, people are, people associate that with some kind of airy fairy new age thing, but this is really right. all the way back into like the earliest philosophies we have, you know? And so I think it's worth thinking about it as um, just how it's kind of like nothing old. There's nothing new under the sun in a way. And um, it can kind of ground us. It seems like Joyce is kind of trying to do that kind of reground back into the tradition and trace something. If you're talking about him, I don't know. I, I, uh, Cause I haven't, I didn't read this part, but if he's referencing hermetic texts or a part of his project is to like go to the Corpus Hermeticum or texts before that as a counter to like Yates, that just, I don't know. It just feels important to me. Um, yeah, well, um, just the fact that he was so far into uh, Giordano Bruno and read him in the original Italian when he was um, when he was at university, even um, like the in in the in Ulysses, he meets his Italian teacher, his Italian professor. That was actual professor that that Joyce had in Dublin at the time, and and he he was studying Bruno um, with that professor. Um, and so Bruno, you read Bruno, and it's 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 all about like the uh, the art of memory and the continuation of uh, the Hermetic tradition, continuation of Neoplatonism, um, almost almost the the kind of perfection of it, you know, in a way. Uh, but uh, yeah, so so yeah, just to reiterate, is Joyce is completely aware of that entire tradition and uh, and really honors it. I think you know. Although he's, he realizes this is another thing that comes out in, in Bruno is, is that um, there's a, also a dichotomy, a false dichotomy between things being um, joking and things being serious, right? And so Joyce combines those two things too. So when he's making fun of things all the time, he's also being deadly serious here, right? Um, and when he's being deadly serious, he's, he's yanking the carpet from out from under himself. You know, it's like, uh, there's always those two parts going on simultaneous um, in the same way that there's um, any opposite, any dichotomy, he's, he's playing on, on both of those ideas. And this, this comes out with uh, even an earlier thinker than, uh, than Bruno and some guy that uh, Bruno really was inspired by is, is this, uh, theologian called Nicholas of Cusa who talked about that you know like the uh, uh, the coincidence of opposites is the idea but that's again you can go f- so far back like again it goes right back to Plato um, Pythagoras and earlier you know yeah and Doug there's something I wanted to point out to you especially because of the name of the podcast the 42 minutes which is that um along the lines of this idea of the organs or parts of the body corresponding to parts of the city. Um, In ancient Egypt, there were 42 gnomes, they're called, um, that the empire was divided up into. And in the myth of Osiris, it was said that when his body was divided up, it was chopped up into 42 pieces that were divided one to each part of Egypt. Um, 
And so, and, and another thing is that when you're in the underworld and experience being judged, you're given 42 questions. So I just thought that that was really fascinating that the number 42 is associated with this correspondence between the parts of the body and the, the city, or in the case of Egypt, the empire, um, and also this, this underworld judgment, which is another heavy aspect to the Circe episode where um, Bloom is being subjected to this judgment. I'm sorry, I've got the Madam Psychosis in my head now. We talked about that last time. I'm, I mean, yeah, we could start to get into those other books too, because there's such a huge link between these other books like Recognitions and Infinite Jest. And oh, yeah. I was definitely thinking about this as like the proto work for the young, ambitious artist. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to I want to say here, maybe this is a good transition point, especially if we're talking about synchronicity. Um, how much because is this like a Kubrickian, you know, Kubrick seems to have been um, anticipating the later developments in media uh, in the sense that he knew people might stop and start and be able to like go frame by frame and all the, of the little Easter eggs that Kubrick apparently was you know, making sure we're included in the final cut and the hundreds of takes with the actors. It seems like Joyce has a similar mindset here of really deliberately and thoroughly creating a, a text uh, or media, if we just want to broaden the label, such that it can be mined for these like synchron synchronicities and deeper ideas. And I'm just wondering, like, my question would be, is Joyce, in that sense, there's a rele it's relevant, but how relevant is Joyce in... The, the internet age where everything is like audio and visual media now. And, and like, even the way I took this in was read, was listening and watching a movie. That seems to be how media, you know, the main major flow of media now is text dead. I mean, Henry Miller said the writing will be dead and it will be telepathy. That was his, and this was like the last age of the, of the written word. And then it would give way to, I think, what we're, the age of air is what, what we would say as astrologers, we've entered into now the age of air. You know, and so how does Joyce survive in the age of air? Obviously, we're part of that. We're carrying that here in a conversation like this. But is, is it sound bites? You know, is Joyce TikTokable? I mean, these are the kind of questions that I'm, I think are interesting. You know, and I, and I think the way he writes about, uh, like when I put it on and the voices, hearing Molly's monologue in that 67 film, I mean, it was very calming. It was like, I'm just listening to someone thinking. So maybe that's the way he's guaranteed the survival of, of, of this work. I, you know, so anyhow, I'm raising a few different things here, but I, I'm interested in like how this transfers into this digitized, you know, refracted kind of media moment. Um, does it survive or is it just left in the academy? You know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, um, just one big thing on that is uh, Joyce actually came back to Dublin from Trieste at one point. It was probably the longest time he, he had come back to Dublin um, because he wanted to establish a movie theater in, in Dublin. And so he was, he was totally into, into film. Um, that didn't go through because of all these business problems that he had, his, his own business partners. Um, but he had also 
wanted to make a movie of Ulysses with uh, Eisenstein. In, in that was one of his favorite directors, right? And so, oh, that would have been amazing. I would have been incredible. You know, it's like, uh, and and Eisen Eisenstein, of course, was like a. Um, one of the pioneers of that kind of montage uh, method in film, right? Which uh, apparently he in turn got it from like uh, um, Japanese and, and Chinese poetry, like, like according to Ezra Pound, you know, like the, that idea, like even with a haiku where you just sort of split from, it's just describing one image. And sometimes you have these linked haiku, which goes from one image as a montage into another image it's almost cinematic you know so Joyce completely had that in his mind I think when he was writing Ulysses and, and other of his works like obviously Finnegan's Wake is full of all kinds of different media and that's why um, Marshall McLuhan for one loved it you know all of his works but uh, I, I think it's like uh, like your bigger question, SJ, um, is it still relevant in this media age? Um, another thing that comes into it is, is Ezra Pound's idea. Ezra Pound is a huge friend and benefactor and editor of, of Joyce. And Pound said that when you create something, as an artist, when you create something, create it as if it cannot be translated into another media better you know so that would be pounds criticism of like say uh, a book by uh uh the da vinci code guy who's that uh, nicholas sparks i was thinking but yeah the um i can't think of the dan brown. brown dan brown yeah, dan, dan brown. brown like 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 um so pound would say like okay maybe it's an interesting book to read you can fly through it but it, it's almost you could make a better movie you know it's like a, it doesn't it doesn't need to be written down in as in a book you know so so joyce would have that in mind too like he's writing this book ulysses is not meant to be another medium you know it's meant to be a, a text and i think it will always survive as a text um as as a novel you know it's as as the as a great novel you know um, and I guess part of my, like in a world where the text is, is kind of um, relegated um, and maybe that'll change, you know, a hundred, like maybe this book is like timeless and we'll put it, put another way, the, the tradition of text in our human kind of cultural heritage, this book has taken a seat at that table and will always have a seat at that table. So maybe my question, and, and it's maybe less relevant, I'm kind of interested in the idea of losing text as a, as a central kind of node in maybe this digital refracted age and how does the gems or the jewels that we find in text, how does that get integrated into this moment? Like this, this Macbeth film just came out, beautiful movie. Um, and it's just Shakespeare, you know, still living, still relevant. Um, you know, and so I'm just, I'm just wondering, I, I, I wonder if like an artist or like a rapper or someone will like start referencing Ulysses. I'm just, I kind of want it to, survive and thrive and just thinking about like functionally how that might work um it, to get it to get some of this stuff in the hands of the people that you know want to explore it maybe it's not for the masses but yet it is that's the theme that's why you know he's like this is why i'm interested in this question because he's writing for the, the people in a way and he's making fun of the highfalutin and just as you elucidated earlier Zanor. so how can you know 
I know it may, may be less clear, but how can it kind of be delivered and empower people and, and how will it continue to do that? Um, so anyhow, anyhow I, I may be less clear, but, but go ahead so here. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Like certain texts survive, you know, like people still read the Bible daily, you know, like uh, live their lives by the Bible. That's a text that survived Shakespeare. Same thing, you know, like the, the, the great books do survive as books, you know, um, I think people will always come back to them. Um, even even maybe electronic media saturated modern younger people um, will come back to books like this just to enter into another space. You know, like uh, um, McLuhan called it an, like an anti environment. When when the whole media environment now is electronic, you know text is an anti-environment now it's flipped you know like now now text is this alternative space you know that we can we can enter into and it's not attached to any wires um you know uh, yes, absolutely that's a huge huge point i think we've talked about this before my thing on that is that the imagination is actually uh, encouraged to release itself textually because you have to imagine what you're reading in the mind whereas when you're locked into the digital imagery, it kind of stifles the imagination in that way because it's all being presented to you visually mm. and auditorily. Um, one thing on this I just want to throw in is the uh, night, uh, uh, Brave New World, that, where the, the world that is not the dystopia or the so-called utopia, they have Shakespeare and they're like hairy and bearded and dirty and they're reading Shakespeare you know, as a part of, or is it, or is it, yeah, I think it's Shakespeare. They have Shakespeare, the text becomes part mm. of this kind of naturalistic and more human experience so really i just when you were sharing there's nor it made me think of that uh, 1980 or the brave new world that that theme is strongly felt there yeah uh sj i've got a, a quote that's again from this uh paper by Tyndall that i think is is relevant to your line of inquiry it says analogy is not only the method of ulysses but its substance out of a maze of correspondences, Joyce created a world, complete and self-subsistent, but not without reference to external things, nor without power to organize our feelings about them. Unable or unwilling to revive the world that died in the 17th century, he made another world in its image. That this world is an aesthetic rather than a cosmic structure is what we might expect for poets today seeking unity, find it in art alone. Um, there's uh, one thought I had while you were talking was that I think that what Joyce accomplishes with Ulysses is what really matters about it um, and not just the text that he puts forward although of course that's what how he accomplishes it in other words for me that's why it, I say he got to the essence of something that is, for instance, what I feel that a lot of you have done with the sync book, which is you're, you're sort of doing the same kind of thing. Like I, I, I'd like to imagine that the internet, just uh, thinking of it strictly in terms of a technological medium, if you can do that, might look very different if, it, if, if our culture was very different. 
I don't think that there's just one way that you can engage with the internet, but mm. there's a way that we're engaging with it. And I think that Joyce is kind of a titan in creating that kind of thinking and that kind of approach um, that we are now using the internet as you know part of that mix. Um, just something to think about. That's just like the Joyceification, yeah. Joyceification as a kind of method that we can, that might be the inheritance. It might not even have to be, people might not even know what Ulysses is, but yet we're Joyceifying well, in the sense um, of remixing. And so, sorry, go ahead, Zorm. Sorry about that. That's just, I thought that, that's an interesting idea to, to use it as a verb. Uh, his name is a verb. Well, just add to your point, Eric, it, it's like, a, um, there's a direct lineage actually, you know, through McLuhan, like, so in the sense that McLuhan, McLuhan's ideas anticipated our, our way of thinking about the internet, like McLuhan, of course, didn't invent the internet or anything, but he, he had already um, anticipated the internet fully, you know, and, and he's, he's quite clear that um, he was able to do that um, although he didn't talk about, of course, he didn't talk about the internet because it was, it, it hadn't even come out when McLuhan was writing yet. But uh, that whole line of thinking comes directly through Finnegan's Wake and Ulysses and his studies on Joyce. You know, it's like, a, so it's like a, um, the way that we think about the internet um, via um, McLuhan also comes ultimately from. Um, Finnegan's Wake and Joyce and Ulysses, you know, it's like a, um, so it's, 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 it's already there. It's, it's almost like it's like you, you're saying, um, SJ, it's, it's already been Joyceified from the beginning, you know, it's like, um, well, let's, this is, we're really getting to something I think here that's like profound and I want to kind of break, Doug, were you going to say, because I just want to kind of break, slowly break down what Eric has raised here and kind of try to get at some, some stuff with it because, um, if the idea is that our culture, we could use the internet if we had a different culture, right? There's something about the lowbrow nature of internet culture. I think we might all agree with that. It's like, you know, Netflix, pornography, uh, Twitter, news. I mean, it really does feel toxic, I think, in, in a lot of ways. But if we were to use the tool that we have, and what would it mean? Like, where is where, what is the best um, evidence contemporary of the joycification of the internet? Who's using it to kind of um, um, invert it or kind of uh, make fun of it, but then to kind of tie it to something essentially human. And I'm wondering, like my idea, my first thought is podcasts, you know, the long forum, people get to talk about things. That kind of is a, um, what did you say about text earlier, Snor? It creates an anti-zone or an anti- Anti-environment. So like, where is the anti-environment in within the internet technology? Maybe podcast is the best example. I'm just trying to, does any of you have any ideas? Like what would, what were, how would Pound, maybe this is a better way, what, are, what would Pound and Joyce do in 2020, if they're 20 years old now? Would they be on TikTok doing those little dances with their girlfriends? <laughs> you know, I don't, you know, I mean, like- <laughs> Anyhow, well, I think well, this, this is, is important to, to get at the, the what this whole idea set and try to like uh, make it tangible. Um, and and you, uh, if that makes sense. Well, this is this is something I brought up a bunch of times before, but it's like uh, like Terence McKenna's idea of um, how would the singularity happen, 
And, and one of the ideas that he had is that it would be the internet becoming self-aware, you know, at every point. And as far as we know, that hasn't happened yet, you know, but if you look at something like um, Finnegan's Wake or U Ulysses, you have the, it's, it's self-aware at every point, you know, it's, it's aware of itself at every point. It refers to itself at every point, you know. There so, are multiple times where th there's some kind of verbiage about arrangement, like, um, like there, the text understands that to understand it, you have to, you have to have read it already. Right. So like there's uh, one of the guides I was reading was talking about it as if there's the narrator, but there's also this arranger, which is more like, which makes me think of like um, the two gods, you know, so you have the Gnostic, you know, it's like the, <laughs> uh, the false God and the real God, but that's, that's not what's going on here. It's just that there's, there's uh um well so so i, I um sorry just to, just to answer sj's question about like i think that's a it's a fat like it, it always it occupies my mind all the time that that question is is what these guys would be doing with the internet like what an artist of that caliber would be doing with the internet as a medium and uh that's what i think they would be doing is trying to make it self-aware in, in some way, you know, like, I, I don't know how that would happen. Like, it might be happening. I, I think it is happening spontaneously anyways, you know, but they would be um, using their art, using the entire internet as a medium to become aware of itself somehow, you know. Um, 